Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. I'm Talbot Davis, the pastor here, and uh, whenever we gather together on Sunday morning, wherever I, whenever I get to connect, connect with you live and live stream, I'm always really glad to be able to do so. And uh, this is the final message in this On the Grid series. At the end of today's uh, worship experience, you'll find out about the next series, which we also were, we're looking forward to. But On the Grid has been all about embracing what you'd rather avoid, addressing what you would rather escape, living a life on the grid rather than trying to hide from life by living off the grid. Our guide for the series has been Moses, this ancient historic figure, pivotal figure in the life of ancient Israel. Today's message is called, when the people you love the most hurt you the worst. When the people you love the most hurt you the worst. And our, our guide for this particular message is in Exodus chapter 16. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to locate Exodus chapter 16 in the first 12 verses of that particular chapter. And, and if, if you've been to Good Shepherd before, you kind of know what I'm going to say. If you've never been here before, well, we're going to say it anyway. But there's a couple of things that we believe about the Bible. And one of those things is that it, 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 people call it a book. It's the best-selling book of all time, they say. It, it looks like a book. But guess what? This is not a book. It's a library. It's a collection of a lot of books written by a lot of authors over a long span of time. Many, many different writing styles. And in that, when we're looking at the book of Exodus, we're in the section of the library devoted to history, like the most ancient history in the, uh, in the written word just about. And it's the, uh, these are events that took place 1500, 1700 BC. So 35, 3700 years ago. And, and, and so we're, we're looking at, a, at an ancient library and an ancient history book recording ancient events. And that's just factual. A lot of people don't know it, but that is factual. The other thing that we believe about the Bible here is, uh, and this may be when, when I say what I'm gonna, going to say, this may be the thing you're like, no, I'm, I'm not quite with you yet. Or you may be like, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you that a church is willing to say it. We, wh wherever you are on that spectrum, we just like clarity r rather than confusion. So we want you to know what we believe in leadership here. And it's this, we believe there's no other library like this on planet earth, that God breathed his life into the words of the Bible. He's put his truth onto its pages. The Bible really is inspired and eternal and true. And because we hold to those beliefs, when we talk about the Bible at this church, we do this kind of different thing, we lift it up. And if you've not been here before, you're not tuned in before, and it looks a little bit strange with Bibles and phones up in the air, and, and if, you, if you ask, well, why do you do that strange thing? And we don't get defensive. We admit it. Hey, this is a little bit different. But we've discovered that this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community. We're a collection of people joyfully surrendered to the authority of the word, not standing in authority over it, surrendering ourselves to its authority and ready for its power to be let loose in our lives. And so before I say anything else, gotta pray for this message about when the people you love the most hurt you the worst. Let's pray. So Father, uh, thank you for the, the honor that you give me being able to do this. And, and I, but I am so keenly aware that if I ever stand and do this on my own strength, abject failure would be the result. And so I ask, Lord, that you would fill me from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head with a, a fresh outpouring of your goodness, 
your joy and your power summed up in the one we call the Holy Spirit. Do all that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, of, uh, of all the annoying seconds in life, you know, like coming in second place, sitting in the second chair, playing second fiddle, maybe there's no more annoying second than being second guessed. I mean, honestly, don't, don't you, you hate that when you get second guessed? You, you hate it when your spouse second guesses your directions, or your driving directions or your wardrobe selections. And you hate it when your kids, when they get just old enough to begin second guessing whether or not you really know what you're talking about at all on any topic ever. A lot of you who are kids, you hate it when your parents second guess your circle of friends, your choice of classes that you're going to take, your direction in life. And then those of you who are in leadership positions at work, don't, don't you hate it when you get second guessed by the people who report to you and they second guess your sense of mission and vision and values and strategies? It's so annoying. And then there's a few of you, maybe there's a lot of you and, and, and you're not really getting what I'm saying right now. You're like, no, I don't, I don't really, I'm, I'm not really bothered that much by people second guessing. You know why? Because you're the second guesser. <laughs> Just yesterday, you second guessed your favorite coach's play calling. Come on, admit it. You did it. On Friday, you second guessed the coach of your kid's soccer team and his or her selections of who got to play and who had to sit on the bench. You second guessed the umpire in your kid's softball game yesterday morning. And some of you, some of you, you even second guess me. You're, you're like, why does he bring that table up there? I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't dress like that to preach on a Sunday morning. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't begin a sermon this way. Who does he think he is? Yeah, it's second guessing. And when it comes at the hands of people you've invested deep trust in, people you love the most, it can actually move from merely annoying to downright dangerous and toxic and painful. And you think that if anybody should have been immune, if, if, any, if anybody should have been free of second guessing, it would be Moses, this ancient leader, this ancient figure in the history of Israel. Now, what, what you may or may not know, we, we, we've been kind of journeying with Moses through the Old Testament book of Exodus. And in between last week's message, which, which kind of had Moses. We looked at what happened when Moses was bumped up against the edge of the Red Sea. In between last week's message and this week's reading, this is what had happened. I think, think we have a photo. Yeah, Charlton Heston, he parts the Red Sea. You know how that movie goes. So he parts Moses, God through Moses parts the Red Sea and the, the children of Israel are able to escape slavery in Egypt, the horse and rider thrown into the sea and all that kind of good stuff. And this is a miracle. This is a remarkable, incredible miracle described in great detail in Exodus chapter 14. And it's such a pivotal miracle in, in the lives of the children of Israel that all of Exodus 15, the whole chapter, 
is devoted to a song of celebration about what had just happened with the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, that whole chapter, it's a history book with a song inserted in the middle of it. All of you, you, you if you doubt me, I, I check it out afterwards. The whole chapter is that song of celebration. I mean, it is the Old Testament version of celebrate good times. Come on, it's Exodus's... Thank you for getting that. It's Exodus is cool in the gang. And, 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 and so you, I mean, you would think that with, the, with that kind of euphoria, that kind of celebration, that what would happen in Exodus 16, because song of celebration, cool in the gang is Exodus 15. You, celebration, the, that what would happen in Exodus 16 is that the celebration is just going to continue. Because Moses has led the people out of slavery. He's done exactly what he said he would do. He's overcome all kinds of odds. And that would be exactly what would happen if the children of Israel were were healthy and well-adjusted, which they're not. To see what actually does happen after this incredible miracle and epic celebration. Take a look at Exodus chapter 16 and verse one. Check it out. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, comma, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. Okay, 15th day, second month, so 30 days in a month plus 15. You you, you got your math hat on. It's about 45 days after the Red Sea has been parted. I mean, he he should still be on his honeymoon, right? His leadership honeymoon. It's kind of like if, if your coach leads your team to the Super Bowl, I mean, that's, he, he can have at least two bad seasons after that without having his job on the hot seat because he's built up all that goodwill. He's still in a honeymoon after this great achievement. And you'd think that's exactly where Moses is only 45 days later. And this place, the, the uh, Elim, where, where they had been, it's an oasis. So it's not like the children of Israel are, are, are slumming it. They, they are in an oasis. And look what happens in verse two. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You might want to circle that word grumble because we're going to come back to it. You're going to see it's at the very center of everything this story is telling you. The whole community grumbled. And, and, and so the second guessing starts just 45 days after the greatest miracle in human history up to that point. And look what happens in verse three. The Israelites said to them, meaning to Moses and Aaron, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat. I just love that pots of meat. Sorry. And ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Oh man. Look, look, look at what they do. Look at the exaggeration. This is what second guessers do. They exaggerate both their problems and, and the failures of the people they are second guessing. I mean, in this case, the children of Israel are so nostalgic for, for slavery. Oh, when, when someone else owned us, 
When we made bricks without straw, when we were human tools, those were the days, Moses. That's when we had it made because once a year or so, we got, got to sit around and eat all the meat we ate we, 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 and could have eat all the meat that we wanted. We had pots of meat, Moses. So they exaggerate just how great those days of slavery were. And, and, they, then, and then they, they exaggerate how badly Moses has led them. And it's kind of the, this way of, of Moses telling us, honeymoon is over. And from there, from, from that kind of introduction into how badly things are going, there, there's just this remarkable pattern. And we're going we're gonna to read some from Exodus chapter 16. And, and I'm going to be reading from up here. But every time we come, come to the word grumble, I'm going to pause and y'all are going to read it out loud. So it's like participatory reading. You ready for this? Okay, it's, we're, let's look at verse 2 again, where it says this. In the desert, the whole community... So good against Moses and Aaron. Skip down to verse seven, where it says this. And in the morning, this is Moses and Aaron talking to the people. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your against him. Who are we? Meaning who are are Aaron and I that you should against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your, who are we? You are not, oh, come on. With a little more enthusiasm. Who are we? You are not against us, but against the Lord. And then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your much better, skipping down to verse 11 and 12. And then the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the of the Israelites. Oh my gosh, grumble, 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 grumble. And I've told you before, if you haven't heard me before, you'll hear this for the first time. But in a world in which writing was very expensive and it was also backbreaking labor, in a world where they didn't have all caps and bold and italics, they didn't have any way to emphasize what was important to them, repetition is the Bible's neon light saying, pay attention to this. This means everything. This is what I am trying to communicate. And so it is abundantly clear that the heart of everything in this story is grumble, 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 grumble. And why is that the heart of everything in this story? Why do we hear all this grumbling to this man who's just 45 days removed from his greatest accomplishment? Because here's what's true. The reason that grumbling, the reason that second guessing is so toxic is because it is just the shortest step to go from second guessing to betrayal. It's such a slight move to go from grumbling to deceiving, to turning on. And in fact, some of you know exactly what it's like to go through what Moses is going through because here he is. These Israelites who are now grumbling about him and to him, they're the people he's loved the most. He's risked his life for them. He's risked his reputation for them. He has gone to every kind of length he could possibly go for them. And this is the thanks that he receives in return. And some of you 
You know exactly what that's like to have the people you have poured into the most, the people you have loved with the most depth, they're the ones, and it starts out with grumbling, it starts out with second guessing, and pretty soon it turns into outright betrayal. Man, I've had someone in my life leverage a, a private conversation for public gain, public fame in a betrayal of, of, of friendship. I mean, I didn't sign up for that at all. I, as far as I was concerned, this conversation was private and was to remain that way. Maybe you've been through that. And, and maybe you've had that person who was a friend and because they couldn't keep things in, con- in, in confidence, the best they are right now is a friend of me. And maybe for others of you, it's not even an individual who has moved from second guessing into betrayal. Maybe it's a company that has betrayed you. Maybe it's that company that you stood by for years and years and years and you supported and you invested and you worked and you loved. And at the first opportunity, that company turned on you. And some of you, maybe the betrayal you suffered was at the hands of a, of a, a school And then I know for a fact that for a good chunk of you, the betrayal that you have endured has been at the hands of a church or a ministry or a pastor. And then I know whether live streaming or live, good chunk of folks within the sound of my voice, the betrayal that you have have endured has been at the hands of a spouse. And you know exactly what it's like to have the people you love the most turn around and hurt you the worst. And you can't really wrap your mind around how in the world will I ever get beyond any of this? This is Moses 3,700 years ago and it's you and it's me today and it can make us very, very tempted to just get off the grid, to, to just decide I would rather give up than lean in. I have been betrayed, I have been hurt, so why don't I just stop really investing in people and investing in relationships because all it does is come back to bite you anyway. Now, that may be the kind of thing that you are going through. And it's so interesting. It's so interesting what, what happens in, in Moses' case because at, at Exodus chapter 16, verse three, there, there, there's the, uh, take, take a look at it again. The, the Israelites said to them, if only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there's this brewing insurrection the, the people are longing for what slavery was like. It really goes to show, does it not, that a lot of people prefer the certainty of misery to the misery of uncertainty. That man, what I, what I have was miserable, but at least I, I, I know what to expect. I love that Soviet Union I got to live in because I knew how long the bread lines were gonna be. People prefer the certainty of misery to the Misery of uncertainty, you mean I have to fend for myself? I'm responsible for my own? Well, yeah, you are. And yet, look at what happens next in verse four. Check it out. It says this, then the Lord said to Moses, 
I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. And what follows after that promise, hey, Moses, I'm gonna, in addition to all the grumbling, I'm gonna rain down bread from heaven, manna and quail. And there's a very odd story that takes up the rest of Exodus 16. There's manna, there's quail, there's food in the morning, there's food in the evening. There's so much food for these Israelites who said, oh, you're gonna starve us out here, Moses. We miss those pots of meat. And in return, the Lord sends them so much food that the people become sick. They gorge themselves and they get sick. That's what's in the story. That's what's in the scripture in Exodus chapter 16. But it's what's not there. What Exodus 16 doesn't include that really intrigues me. It's what's missing between verse three where you see the the betrayal that Moses suffers and verse four where you see the help that God offers. And do you know what's missing? I mean, Moses is undergoing, in the middle of an insurrection in verse three and in verse four, there's all this provision. But do you know where, what is missing in that, in, that in, in, in the text there? There's no request. There's no help me, Lord. It's really phenomenal the thing that the biblical author leaves out. You see, Moses doesn't even ask for help and God is already sending it, which is really good news for you and for me who have ever experienced the people that we love the most hurting us the worst because here's what I want you to know. God, and you can jot this down, God is already healing your wounds before you even know they exist before you're even asking for the assistance, God knows what's coming and he, he is already at work in your life. I mean, God, right now, right today, God is doing hundreds of things in your life right now and you're aware of about two of them. And one of the things, several of the things that God is doing is he is already sending healing. He's already sending support. He's already sending provision before you are even aware those wounds exist. It makes me think of this guy named Terry Dreyer who was sailing in the Persian Gulf, not always the best of ideas. And he was doing it in January of 2003, which is a really bad idea because January of 2003 was just before the invasion of Iraq happened. And he, he capsized, Terry Dreyer did. And he was in the Persian Gulf for 20 hours before helicopters spotted him. And then the US sent a, a, a ship to rescue him. And the name of the ship that they sent to rescue Terry Dreyer, the USS Comforter. I love that. And I don't know if you know this or not, but you have a comforter who's in your area, whether you realize it or not. And your comforter is the Holy Spirit. It's what scripture calls him. It's why the name of that church in another section of Charlotte is just awesome. The church of the Holy Comforter. Come on, not that Good Shepherd's a bad name, but the church, 
The church of the Holy Comforter, absolutely awesome. God is already healing your wounds before you even know they exist. Or it's like Casey Stengel, who managed the, uh, the Mets and the Yankees, among others. Here's his secret to good managing. I think we're gonna, the secret of managing is to keep the guys who hate you away from the undecided. Yeah, yeah. God, yeah, you leave that up there for a minute. So they can jot, we got a lot of managers here who need to jot that down and, and take, it to work, take it to work. Yeah, the, the, God's already healing your wounds before you even know they exist. Man, I've... I've seen this in, in, in my own life, my own ministry. It's not my ministry. I actually hate that phrase. My own life, my own working in church for 30 years. I had a couple small leadership crises down in Monroe in the 90s and, and two or three leadership crises here in Charlotte since 1999. And, and when everyone, every one of those crises popped up, I was like, this is it. I'm not gonna make it. Either the church is gonna explode or to keep the church from exploding, I'm gonna have to go work in that landscaping business I've wanted to start or I'm gonna have to teach tennis or I'm gonna do what everybody's always told me I should do and I'm just gonna have to become a male model. That that just should have been met with a bunch of amens, people. And and it was was so interesting. At, at, At every time in one of those crises, the kind of people that God would send to stand beside me. And, and when I say stand beside me, I mean literally in the church lobby, not ostentatious, but people who just stood beside me and said, we, we believe what you're doing. This was the right decision. This is a hard decision, but we're supporting you again. It wasn't for show, it wasn't ostentatious, but it was just the Lord's way of letting me know I have sent that person into your life to say this thing on this day for such a time as this. I didn't know I was getting ready to step into crises and God did and God had already made provision for me. You, God is already healing your wounds before you even are aware that they exist. You see, it's, it's, so, so cool, uh, often we, we're, we're really glad, oh, God's with me, God's inside me, God's beside me. And every time people say that, I'm like, no, 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 no. God's way ahead of you. That's even better, that you have a future, you have things that you will be stepping into or living into, and God is already there. Don't limit God by saying he's just beside you or inside you, he's ahead of you. And you may have some things coming ahead in your life you, you, and you have no idea now. And, and you may be betrayed by people who you have trusted. You may be hurt the most by people you have loved the best. It may start out with some grumbling and it will turn into outright insurrection. But I just want you to know that if that is in your future, God is already there. He's already preparing the way and he was already preparing the provision he's going to send. He's already deciding how it is. He's going to heal you. He very likely, get this, get this. He very likely won't send you around that crisis, but through. Because what does Psalm 23 say? Yea, though I walk around the shadow of death. No, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. How how can he do anything else? 
Because who else? Who else was betrayed the most by the people he loved the best? Who else was betrayed with a kiss? Who else not only split the sea, but split the grave, split the power of sin and death? And who else about whom is it true that scripture tells us by his stripes, you are healed. Jesus, the once and forever better Moses. Yeah, God is already healing your wounds through that risen savior before you even know they exist. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you that (laughs) we don't have to ask you to be with us. You are. We can celebrate that you're ahead of us. And I ask God that everyone within the sound of my voice wrestling with betrayal, even right now, or heading into it, and they don't even know it's coming. God, that your deep healing ministering work would be accomplished in their lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's children said,